You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. A 26-year-old man was living his best life. On November 17, 2019, he walked out of his mother's home in Lethbridge, Alberta, and he has not been seen since. Welcome to episode 15 of Gone But Never Forgotten, the story of Marshall Iwasa. And thanks again for joining us on our little passion project here, GBNF. Before we get started, I do want to again hit on the fact that we are indeed an independent and growing podcast. That means that we are always looking for ways to grow, get the word out, and spread the news about this really cool husband and wife-led true crime podcast. One of the ways that we look to our listeners for support is through our Patreon account, which you can find at patreon.com forward slash GBNF podcast. We have different levels available for anyone that enjoys what they're listening to and wants to help us out along the way. We have four levels that range from $1.50 a month up to $10 a month, depending on what you are able to do. We have all kinds of perks for our supporters, including shoutouts on the podcast, early access to episodes, exclusive content, and our brand new stickers. The first set of what we hope is many runs of merch for our show. Some of our listeners also have asked if we have other ways that you can support the podcast, and we do. We can accept one-time e-transfer or PayPal uh, donations at gbnfpod at gmail.com. That's right. And we also cannot stress enough that we love hearing from our listeners and there are so many avenues to do so. You can email us at gbnfpod at gmail.com. Check us out on Instagram at gbnfpod. Tweet at us on Twitter at gbnfpodcast. Or give us a follow on Facebook at facebook.com slash gbnfpodcast. Let us know what you love, what you hate. Hopefully nobody hates us. Or let us know about cases that you would like for us to cover or look into. We will definitely always get back to you in a timely manner, and we love to chat. Without the fans, we are nothing. Without our fans, this podcast is like a tree falling in the woods. Ain't nobody around to hear it. With the housekeeping out of the way, let's move along and get into this story that, like all of our stories, does not have the ending that everyone deserves. Let's go! On Sunday, November 17th, 2019, 
26-year-old Marshall Iwasa spent his day doing normal, run-of-the-mill Sunday things. He did his laundry and worked around his home he rented in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, doing chores. Early in the evening, he jumped into his dark blue GMC Sierra truck and made a two-hour drive to Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada. Lethbridge is where Marshall had grown up and one of his first stops was to visit his mother. He spent a few hours visiting his mom and fixing a computer issue that she had. Around 11 p.m., he left his mom's house wearing black pants, a green hoodie, red high-top shoes, and a gray toque. Marshall told his mom that he needed to visit the storage unit that he and his sister had shared for six years to get something out of it. The storage locker was located in northern Lethbridge, about 20 minutes away from her house. He told her that he was then going to be driving back home to Calgary. Key lock logs for the locker would show Marshall attempting to gain access to his locker multiple times throughout the night. He finally managed to get the locker opened with his code around 6 a.m., and he stayed at the storage unit for about two hours. Therefore, he was still in that area of Lethbridge around 8.30 a.m. on Monday, November 18th. This footage would be the last known sighting of Marshall as he did not return to Calgary and nobody that knew him has seen him since. Nobody has any idea what happened to Marshall after he left his storage locker. The trail on Marshall would seemingly go cold really quickly and as days passed, reports started to come in that he had not returned home, had not been seen by any of his friends or family, and he seemingly was just gone. That would all change on November 23rd, 2019, though. On that date, in a desolate and remote area of British Columbia, just outside of Pemberton, British Columbia, Marshall's GMC Sierra would be found. A group of hikers were in the area and came across the truck, completely burnt in a densely wooded area. They also reported that various items of clothing were spread around in the area around the truck. Marshall Iwasa was born on January 3, 1993, in Lethbridge, Alberta. His sister Paige Fogan, formerly obviously Iwasa, describes him as quiet and reserved, but also very gentle and very kind. As he was growing up, Marshall was involved in physical sports like football and rugby. He was also very into the outdoors. He loved to camp and often went camping with friends and family. Once Marshall graduated from high school, he got way more interested in and involved in things like physical fitness and bodybuilding. As he got involved in those things, his sister said that his world opened up more and he made new friends and acquaintances by getting involved in those activities. That was not to say that Marshall did not have friends in his life still from high school. Lethbridge was a population of around 90,000 people, so as such, often groups of friends stuck together for the long haul. Marshall was always a hard-working young man, starting to work before he was done high school and continuing on after he graduated. He started out working in a grocery store, but quickly made the change to doing manual labor in southern Alberta. There are a lot of manual labor type jobs in Alberta, as that is the area of Canada that is booming with the oil and gas industry, as well as plenty of farming jobs. 
Marshall was living with friends in Lethbridge at the time, but would enroll at the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology to take a course in IT for software development. This would cause Marshall to make the move to Calgary, a city that he was familiar with and had few friends in, but his group of friends was obviously much smaller in Calgary than it had been in Lethbridge. Page moved to Hawaii about six years before Marshall disappeared. While there was a lot of mileage between them physically, they still always stayed in close contact, chatting, texting, and just keeping each other aware of what was going on in their lives. Paige says that they would talk at least once a week after her move. The last time that Paige would see her brother alive was in the summer of 2019 when she returned to Canada for a family reunion. Paige and Marshall were relatively open with one another, and she says that she could always tell when her brother was avoiding a subject or dancing around a question. He would not lie to his sister, but he definitely would skirt questions about topics that he didn't want to talk about. One such topic that Paige recalls was regarding Marshall's enrollment in post-secondary school. She remembers him telling her that people within his field didn't necessarily need a degree, as it was more about who you knew and what you could do rather than a piece of paper obtained in post-secondary. Paige remembers that her brother definitely seemed to be alluding to the fact that he either didn't want to go back to school or flat out wasn't going back to school, but he never really gave her a definitive explanation or answer when she would try to find out where his head was at. She also notes that within their family, the topic of school was not one that the family would push for answers on, believing that more than anything, that was a matter for personal reflection and personal decision. Marshall did seem to be stressed out about the topic of school, though. As someone who went to post-secondary school and then dropped out, I can feel for the guy here. I definitely was not cut out for the university experience. You always say that you, if you won the lottery, though, you would take courses to keep your mind going and growing. Oh, for sure. Online. First of all, my anxiety definitely couldn't handle being a 40-year-old sitting in a university class. But second of all, even when I went, I hardly ever sat in class. I could not get through lecture halls to save my life. I love to learn, but I love to learn via self-teaching mostly. Post-secondary is stressful, man, and to be honest, as much as the circumstances around me dropping out sucked, I was truly happy to be out of that environment. It just really wasn't for me. Well, it sounds like for one reason or another, it was also not for Marshall. After Marshall disappeared in November, the family did indeed find out that he had elected not to return for that IT course that he was taking. Paige also chimed in on this topic as well, saying that her brother definitely was stressed out, but that he had never really mentioned any other triggers for that stress aside from school stress. So this is where the trail started to go cold, and as mentioned earlier, it went cold quickly. Marshall's family said that he had no knowledge of the area around Pemberton, and really hardly any, if any, experience within the province of British Columbia. So... Already, the fact that his truck was found there burnt out was a non-starter. As far as credit cards or bank transactions, the trail there was cold since November 15th, two days before he was even last seen. 
As I read that, it made me think a few things, as most of these stories do. A question that one has to ask themselves here is, if he made a two-hour drive to Lethbridge, spent the day and ensuing night with his mom and then at the storage locker, aside from his mom's, did he not spend any money? Obviously, there is the option of cash, but it did strike me a bit odd that his trail went cold that way two days before he went missing. Your brain is always racing in these things. Definitely. I mean, I'm just like anyone that's at home listening and any of the so-called internet sleuths out there. That is, that is part of why we even made this podcast. I would love to have any small part in solving unsolved cases. I love looking at evidence and facts and trying to deduct different answers than what is maybe out there already. So what are you thinking? Well, at this point I find myself thinking that I have a fair bit in common with this guy. I was definitely older than he was when I realized that I loved to be outdoors and I loved to camp. But I see a guy who is stressed out, upset, perhaps wondering if he had taken the wrong paths in life to this point, and wondering if it was time to throw everything up in the air and see where it landed. So part of what I'm wondering here is if Marshall decided that he was done with the day-to-day stuff of life And perhaps he decided to venture off and live off of the land, so to speak. I know that's not what the family believes, or even the police perhaps, but at this point, that is what I find myself thinking about. For sure. The family is definitely of the belief that their brother and son would not just disappear like that. I do think that anyone would want to believe that in their situation, though. It's hard to believe that somebody that you've known forever would just walk off into the bush and not tell you in advance or ever get back in touch with you again. That takes a special kind of person and a special kind of resolve. Definitely. One thing that probably pokes a hole in your theory of a premeditated self-guided quote-unquote disappearance is the fact that when the family entered the locker, everything was still there, including Marshall's camping gear. Well, yeah, I would definitely say that that would be strange. If you knew you were going to, say, backcountry camp for the rest of your life, you would definitely take your camping stuff with you. So that does pose some obstacles for sure. You are definitely not alone in your thinking, though. Let's talk a bit about the area that they found Marshall's truck burnt out. The Brian Whittington Hut, which is also commonly called the Felix Hut, was built in the summer of 1998. It is in Felix Creek on the shores of Long Lake. Access is via Pemberton, British Columbia, and it is a 10-kilometer hike that sees elevation of 1,000 meters along that hike. Now, before we get e- even get into the terrain, first note that this location was about a 14-hour drive away from Lethbridge, Alberta. So that is already quite the drive to get there. Once you reach the trail that leads in, it's about a two to three hour hike in, and hikers must register if they wish to hike here in case of any problems. However, even the drive to the trailhead is treacherous. You would be driving across mud, gravel, potholes, creeks, washed out roadway, and more. Not to mention there is known to the area, sorry, is known to be a prime hunting area for grizzly bears and black bears. Though late November is definitely getting late in the season for bears. 
GPS does not work in this area, and any vehicle that attempts to make the traverse would need four-wheel drive at the very least. This is not an easy place to get around, and it's not somewhere that you would wind up driving into by accident or without knowledge of where you were headed and what you might be in store for. Yes, and it was on this remote hiking trail to the hut that hikers stumbled across the burnt-out truck that belonged to Marshall. The hikers would take pictures of the truck, take pictures of his scattered clothing and electronics, including three phones that were all traced back to Marshall, and also an expired passport. It would also later be determined that many parts of the truck were in fact missing, as though they may have been stripped off the vehicle. See, that's weird to me also. This truck was found in the middle of nowhere, quite literally, and it was missing parts? To me, that means that the truck must have been stripped after it reached this final destination. So, who decides that they want to take truck parts with them on a hike back to civilization? That seems like way more work than it's worth to me. Even if you're a thief, or perhaps something worse. For sure. That part doesn't fit the narrative that you have of Marshall walking off into the forest. This seems to point to something more sinister in my mind. Those truck parts were either picked apart before the truck was set on fire by someone that was with the vehicle, or else someone picked the truck apart, perhaps before it was torched. But again, like you said, who wants to pick apart a truck and take truck parts back with them? And who happens to have all the right tools with them this deep in the wilderness? I assume this isn't an area that is much traveled based on all of the explanations. Not at all. In fact, the last news that we can find regarding the vehicle itself is that the police were not even able to retrieve the vehicle and remove it from the trail. Quote, Due to the winter conditions when the vehicle was first located and now a rock slide blocking the access road, it is physically impossible to have a tow truck access and remove the truck at this time. Unquote. That was as of the summer of 2021, and we have not been able to find any mention since. But I think that about sums up how gnarly the terrain really was in that area. For sure. That's crazy to think. I mean, obviously the scene has been thoroughly looked over, but it's crazy to think that to this day the truck is probably right where it was left. Yes, and also it was determined that his contact lenses, contact solution, his hiking backpack, his laptop, his wallet, and his most recent phone, a Samsung Galaxy S6, were also missing and have never been located. So this one is definitely a mystery. Back to the police. After the hikers called into the RCMP and sent pictures of what they had discovered on that trail, the RCMP spent two days trying to get access to the area. Once they finally made their way to the site, they took pictures analyzed what they could, and then called Marshall's family to inquire if they knew where he was, as they had found his burnt-out truck. Now, I find myself even more confused about the lack of transaction records because of all of this. If this was even Marshall driving this truck that far, a 12-hour drive, this, this is like 1,200 kilometers away, that's going to take a fair bit of gas. I, I just, I don't know what to think anymore. I mentioned that the family definitely believes that there is some criminal element to this case, and we will touch on that more in a few minutes. But as far as the Lethbridge Police Services, 
Their official stance is that Marshall's disappearance is suspicious, but that foul play is not suspected. They say that there is no credible, corroborated, or compelling information to suggest foul play or that the occurrence is criminal in nature. They do say that any and all tips that come in for this case are being thoroughly looked into. So then the police seem to believe that this was either a case of suicide or someone deciding that they wanted out, like I said earlier, so to speak. It seems that way. And the police have even said that the vast majority of facts and evidence in the case has been passed along to the family, but that some things cannot be made public. I recall in a past episode, you said that generally the family is made aware if the police find their family member, just for peace of mind, but that they do not tell the family where the relative was located. Safe to say that this is not the case here? I would venture to say no, just because, like you said, the police will make it known that the missing person was located and that they don't want to make contact. If that was the case here with Marshall, I would venture to say the family would not be pushing for things like the criminal investigation, obviously. Yeah, that makes sense. So what we're left with here is a case that seems bleak and that has far less answers than it should have nearly two years after the fact. His sister Paige and the family are pushing hard for this to be looked at as a criminal case, but as of yet, the police have not done this, at least not publicly. It seems like it should be a no-brainer at this point. I mean, they have no body, they have not really announced what could have caused the fire, they have no video footage or sightings of Marshall on the days after he visited his mom and the storage locker. Correct. Plus, if they truly believe that this was just a case of suicide or what have you, the cadaver dogs likely would have picked something up on the scene. It seems likely that Marshall perhaps was never on the site here. Like we said earlier, if he was, why is there no records of him buying gas? Why is there no footage of him at a gas station or anywhere? Why does nobody recognize this man that had plenty of tattoos and probably would have stood out regardless of which route he took to the final resting place of the truck? It is definitely all strange. As we mentioned, there is a massive plea from the family to have this looked at as a criminal case, and Paige has pled to the public for anyone that knows anything to come forward. We echo her sentiments in this regard. There are lots of reasons to be afraid to come forward, all of us know that, but the reality is that this is just a family who is looking for answers regarding their son and brother. If you know anything, please call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477 or the Lethbridge Police at 403-328-4444. The description of Marshall Iwasa goes like this. At the time of his disappearance, he was 5'11", 170 pounds, with brown eyes, shoulder-length brown hair, usually tied back, and a mustache. When he was last seen, he was wearing a green hoodie, a gray toque, red high-top running shoes, and black pants. His truck was a dark blue 2009 GMC Sierra with an Alberta license plate of BLL1099. If you saw Marshall or his truck in the days between his last sighting and the discovery of his truck, 
please call the authorities. Any small piece of information can always break open a case like this. For more information, you can also check out the Facebook group Find Marshall Iwasa or look up the hashtag FindMarshy. Such a sad story. I don't think I ever realized the sheer number of people that go missing in Canada, let alone the world, all the time. They just disappear without a trace, without a reason, and of course, without an explanation. It's absolutely heartbreaking. It really is. Have you got anything to buoy us with some good news or something to celebrate this week? Well, I'm happy to announce that we made the painstaking steps to get GBNF listed on YouTube now. Another avenue for people to find us, find our episodes, and find stories that perhaps they can help bring an end to. We will always try to find even more ways to get the word out and get these cases in front of as many eyes and ears as possible. So, feel free to also look up the Gone But Never Forgotten channel on Facebook. Every little bit helps. You never know where the right person will find the story that triggers memories and gets them to come forward. So, Julia, before we close the episode, um, did you have anything you wanted to add or say about this episode? Like, how did it strike you? What are you thinking? Um, I think it's just another weird one, again, like most of our episodes are, that there's not, there's not really anything to go off of. There's just a bunch of weird circumstances that don't really go together, it seems to me. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, like, I guess one of the things that I always still find weird is when police are like, I mean, obviously they know more than we do, so to speak, but when they're a little bit delayed or remiss to look into things as a criminal case, I'd really be interested to see what reasons they have to rule it out a criminal case here because to me it seems like if you can't rule it out you got to rule it in so and without a body and without a note and without really a reason for him to go off into the wilderness without any of that and the cadaver dogs not even picking up a scent i mean it had been a couple of days but no scent makes you wonder if he was ever there you know someone you know did something to him along the way maybe and they gassed up the truck and they ditched it somewhere where they thought like it would never get noticed. Yeah. But there's nothing in here that kind of says, screams to me like, oh, this guy, I know I said earlier, like, you know, as I was researching the story, I felt like this guy walked off and just decided to start over. Mm-hmm. But with all the facts, it doesn't look like that. There's nothing that says something criminal did not happening yeah and for me that sucks yeah for sure i mean i say this a lot like maybe not on the podcast but in real life that you know the police are just people and we're just people so really when it comes to getting the word out there it's really important because then we can get the help from the public and the public and the police can work together on this case we just got to give them something to to push them a little bit further in the right direction. So that's why it's really important. Even if you don't want to come forward, you can always call Crime Stoppers. It's anonymous. Um, and you'd be really, really helping somebody. Even if you don't think what you know might be that important, it very well could be um, the the piece that's missing. Yeah, and I feel like I should put like a little note here and say I do lash out at the police a lot. Um, you know, like it's easy to look with hindsight or, you know, this isn't an old case, but it's easy to look at a case from, uh, 
you know, just a public point of view and say like, oh, they're screwing this up or, oh, they're doing this wrong. But A, the cases that we cover are unsolved cases. So you're looking at a very minute number in the grand scheme of things. So for every one of these cases where I can say, oh, they might be making a mistake here, there's probably hundreds where they're doing the right thing. So I don't want to seem like I'm anti-police, but I will always be the co-host of the show that's going to point out where I think they're screwing up. Oh, absolutely. And we do appreciate all the, the, you know, the police services where we get a lot of our information from as well. Uh, we're just trying to take a very unbiased stance on um, everyone involved in the podcast. Yep. Yep. And with that, I think we'll wrap up this episode. And as always, we do ask for you to come forward if you know anything about Marshall or any of our other cases. The people and stories that we cover are, as I said, unsolved still, and we need to keep hopes and memories alive because all of the stories that we cover are about people who are gone, but But never never forgotten. forgotten.